Kinging waves, fox beer, lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Crystal's wife, Klingons and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday night, March 16th, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And this is episode 520 of Trek Talking. We are live right now, which means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard no-win scenario, which is last week's episode. So if you have any thoughts, theories, or Insight that you would like to share about last week's episode, please give us a call, 646-668-2433. We would love to hear from you. At any rate, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and we have a great show planned for you guys tonight, And as well as talking about the no-win scenario. Uh, we also have our Star Trek birthdays, and we've got a lot of really good ones to cover tonight. We have our fan shout-outs, which is where we say thank you to you. Yes, you right there who's listening to us right now. And we also have our fan scores for last week's episode. So we're going to be having a lot of fun. But before we do that, I want to go around the room and introduce you to my truck spurts. I want to start off first by saying that unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, Our very own Paul, the toy slash wine guy, will not be joining us because he's on vacation soaking up the sun in beautiful Costa Rica. So we will not have Paul with us tonight. Our very own Eric, who's usually with us from Portland, is stuck in traffic. And he will be joining us, you know, ASAP. So we don't have Eric right now, but we will have Eric shortly. But don't fear, because we do have at least one person from our Portland trifecta with us tonight. We have our very own David the Donut Guy. How you doing, uh, David? I feel so lonely <laughs> without the other two. Um, I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, actually, today is actually the very first day that the sun came shining out. There was like no clouds in the sky. It was really nice out. I actually wore, uh, was not able to wear a coat for the first time this week outside so it's nice really nice out and i was actually able to head out and go get some donuts before the show so i was really happy about that and and what kind of donuts we talked a little bit before we went live but what kind of donuts were they uh this one is a peanut butter and jelly with habanero in it 
I've never had it before. So I'm really anxious to see what it's like. That that sounds so good. A peanut butter and jelly donut. That I would. That sounds delicious. <laughs> Maybe I'll jump on the plane and I'll fly out to Portland and I'll get me one. I'll you buy you one me. if you come up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And also with us, uh, we have our very own Charles, who's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. It's been a rail, railroad. A roller coaster weather. It was sunny and sunny out on Monday. It was beautiful. One to sit on the patio. Tuesday windy with some rain. Yesterday was rainy. Today it's still a little cloudy, but getting a little better. It's still in 60. So wishing we could get back in that Monday weather. And I well, could be willing to sit there and do the podcast. Well, we'll talk about some crazy weather up here in Vermont, where I'm at. Where we, we got hit with this snowstorm, but it was a weird snowstorm. They were like, uh, you know, you could go two or three miles in either direction, and they have 36 inches of snow over there, 18 over here, less than a foot over there. I mean, wow. the snowfall was just, you know ranged anywhere from a, a foot to three foot, depending on where you are. It was wet, heavy snow. The wind was whipping. It was freezing cold. It was just, it was like, wow, like 48 hours of, of just total crap. Um, hmm. So I, I'm ready. I'm ready for summer. I, I would love to be able to be sitting on my deck at camp right now. Nice campfire. Me and my dog, Emma, sitting on the deck doing the podcast with you guys. That's where I'd like to be. But uh, not going to happen for another couple of months. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> we have a lot of Star Trek to talk about between now and then. So at any rate, um, we have right now, we have 123,086 downloads of our wow. podcast, which is awesome. So Thank you so much to all of you guys. And, and uh, Charles, if our fans that are listening right now missed last week's show, or maybe they wanted to go back and listen to stunt tracks with myself and Leslie Hoffman, or see what we thought about a comic book or a, a novel on Book Nook, where could they go to find all 520-plus episodes that we've recorded throughout the years? Well, Jim, actually, I could talk to you about that because I probably have to one or two one of my podcatchers or go to Blog Talk Radio because you don't have all 500 on the webpage at the moment. Well, I went to get the archive. I went to the archive and it stopped at 2019. Jim's got to go back and recheck his data. Oh, that's weird. I was going back through the archive. And got to a point and stopped and couldn't get any farther. Had to go to other sources. But most of them are on uh, trucktalking.com. But you can find them on your podcatchers also. As if the fans are interested, I was actually doing some research looking at back episodes. Trying to find out when we reviewed different novels and when we did Comic Corner 
even back when Comic Corner had its own sponsor. And boy, have we gone through a lot of comics. Yeah, we we did. I mean, we were doing comic books for how long? I mean, a long time. Uh, we've been doing them. Oh, we started somewhere around somewhere around March 2017. We started Broken Mirror. Mirror Broken. So, what I'm going to try to do with uh, all of our listeners know, on our our trucktalking.com, I'm going to see if I can set up a separate page, actually two separate, maybe three. I I haven't looked into how I can, the logistics of making this happen, but all of our shows are great, so it's really tough to, to pick out particular ones, but I want to try to have a link on our on our website that just has Comic Corner and all the comics that we reviewed. So if you guys are thinking about, you know, reading a comic or what did we think about a particular comic, instead of scrolling through 520 plus episodes looking for it, you can go right to our Facebook or right to our TrekTalking.com page, Comic Corner, and they'll all be listed there. I want to try to do the same thing for Book Nook, and I also want to try to do the same thing for our special guest stars when we have special guests join us on the show, like Aaron Walkie from um, Prodigy, for instance. So if you guys want to look for a particular interview, they're all in one place. Now, I'm not sure how, I don't know if, I'm going to try to make that happen, but I don't know if I can link a link from our page to our page. I have to work that out. But it's it's in the process. I'm I'm trying to make that happen for you guys. So stay tuned for that. And before we get too far, I also want to say a welcome to our very own Eric, who also is out in Portland, but he doesn't have the peanut butter and jelly donuts that David has. Hey, welcome to the show, Eric. Hey guys, how y'all doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, you know those scenes where they're on the Enterprise and the shields go. And the consoles start exploding, and stuff starts falling from the ceiling, and smoke starts pouring out. Or if you're on Discovery, flamethrowers go off on the bridge. That was that kind of describes my drive home today. So I am happy to finally be landed in one spot, and uh, I got a drink in my hand, and I'm ready to talk some Trek. Yeah, we've got some we've got some great stuff to uh, talk about. Before we get too far, I also want to point out that on our Facebook page, we have 109,125 followers as of right now, uh, which is awesome. I mean, that's really, really great. So um, why is it so cool? I'm going to tell you why it's so cool. cool I mean, it's so cool. Tell us why. It is. It's great. It's great because you can go there. And you can tell us where you are right now. Right now. You can go to our Facebook page and say, hey, my name is Joe Blow and I'm listening in Idaho or wherever. And every week, yours truly, Uncle Jim, uh, will turn around and pick 20 lucky listeners. And if you see a heart, 
next to your name, that means you've been chosen and your name is going to be mentioned on a future fan shout out, which is something we do on this podcast. So that is really, really cool. And we've got our fan shout outs coming up in just a minute. But before we do that, I have to mention this really awesome, really great fan convention, which is going to be going on in Long Island, New York. And yours truly, Uncle Jim, is going to be there representing Trek Talking, along with a few other podcasts. We're going to be doing a Star Trek podcast panel on Saturday. I'm going to, I don't know if it's going to be Saturday or Sunday, but I will be doing a panel on Michael Burnham, of the best captain in Starfleet. And I will also be doing a panel on Star Trek V, the best Star Trek movie ever. And why do I do that? Because that's what we call clickbait. You guys want to come and find out why Star Trek V is the best movie, why Michael Burnham is the best captain? You're going to have to find out. And the only way to find out is to come and see my panel. But wait, there's more. On Sunday at 1 o'clock, I will be on stage with the one, the only, Bonnie Gordon. And who, pray tell, is that? Bonnie Gordon is the voice of the computer on Star Trek Prodigy. And she's also done a couple of other voice uh, characters as well. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to be on stage talking with her, kind of like Will Wheaton does on The Ready Room, only it will be Uncle Jim at Trek Long Island. So I'm really looking forward to that. But in the meantime... Trek Long Island would absolutely love to have you there. And how can you go there? Well, uh, I'm going to tell you right now. You can head over to trektalking.com, and you will see a banner there. Click on that, and it will give you all the information that you need. But I have this awesome, awesome promo that our very own Eric put together. And if it doesn't get you psyched up enough to want to go, well, I don't know. You're not really a Trek fan then. So anyways, here is the awesome promo that Eric put together for Trek Long Island. Trek Talking would like to invite you to attend Trek Long Island at the Hyatt Regency Long Island Hotel in beautiful Hopog, New York on May 20th and 21st, 2023. Trek Long Island will have a variety of guests ranging from the original series to Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, and beyond. Doug Jones... David Ajala, Oded Fayer, Franz Nguyen, Issa Briones, Evan Evagora, Raven Dauda, Sandy Gimple, Tanya Lamani, and Fumsil Satoli are just a few of the guests currently scheduled, with more to come. Enjoy interacting with celebrities at guest panels, or snag a photo op or autograph from your favorite actor. Craving the real stuff? Sit in on science panels with real scientists from NASA and accredited professionals in a variety of scientific fields. Or take in a panel where we discuss how Trek's influence on diversity and inclusion has affected Trek fans and the rest of the real world. Love podcasts? We do too. Meet the people behind the voices from Trek Talking, The Sci-Fi Sisters, Strange New Pod, Women at Warp, Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner, and more. Don't forget to visit the vendor room, where you will find exhibitors and authors, and where you can pick up an exclusive offering from Mego Toys. Purchase a general admission ticket or upgrade to the Q-Pass, which offers you preferred seating, early access admission to a VIP dinner and show with actress Bonnie Gordon, and more. 
Trek Long Island is a family-friendly event with many programs and activities, so bring the little tribbles with you. Let's beam Trek back to the East Coast with a bang. Just visit treklongisland.com for updates and to buy your tickets. We will see you out there. Engage. Well, I got to tell you guys, I'm, one of the things I'm really excited about Trek Long Island is I haven't really been to a, a major Star Trek convention. This, this is a Star Trek convention in every sense of the word. This isn't a multimedia convention like Rhode Island Comic Con. Uh, it's not a horror-based convention. Um, it's not even the same thing as Trek Conderoga, which is a very small local uh, type thing, which is a lot of fun. But this is a major Star Trek convention, and I haven't been to one in uh, decades, I, I want to say. So I'm really psyched. Yeah. It's going to be nerds as far as the eye can see. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. I, I can't wait. I'm going to be passing my batlet through the crowd. I'm going to be so happy. Um, as, my, as my nerdy daughter would say, she'd say, you are among your people. <laughs> I, you know, something that I enjoy when I, I go to an event and I'm at my table for Trek talking. And what, what's for me, what's great is meeting you guys. And when I'm there waving my batlet around and you guys come up, I want to touch it and hold it. And you want to get a picture that's the greatest thing in the world for me. I love meeting you guys, and I love being at the table where, where you know, people will come up to us. People that are interested will come up to me and want a picture. They want to talk. I can pass out business cards, you know, coffee mugs, T-shirts, the whole thing. I love meeting you guys at conventions. I am psyched about it. Um, I'll be there in my Klingon uniform. Uh, Jamie, who hasn't been able to be on with us in a while because of the hours of her new job, but she will be there as well. And she'll be wearing her discovery and not discovery, her strange new worlds, Uhura uniform, which is great. And of course my wife, Karen will be wearing a standard truck talk and t-shirt to stand out in the crowd. So everybody knows who she represents and we'll be at our table the entire weekend. I'll be on stage for a couple of panels. You guys have plenty of opportunities to not only chat with me, but um, to get a picture and hold my bat list if you want to. So please um, check it out if you're in the area. I think it's going to be so much fun. And uh, with that aside, I had mentioned earlier about becoming a fan of Truck Talking and getting your name mentioned in a fan shout-out by visiting our Facebook page. If you do that, you might hear your name mentioned on the air. And Eric... You want to get us started with our fan shout-outs this week? Uh, you better believe it, Jim. This is one of my favorite parts of the of the show because we get to see where we are touching the globe. And it is all over the place this week. Uh, our very first top fan shout-out goes out this week to Daniel Barnett, who is saying hello to us from Israel. Hello, Daniel. Uh, you're a top fan. That means that you interact with us quite a bit on our Facebook page, and we really appreciate that. So live long and prosper to you, brother. And take care. We're also saying hello and sending out a big kapla this week to Zuzana Hansakova from Ostrap in the Czech Republic. Zuzana, thank you for listening to us in the Czech Republic. You are not the first, and I hope that you will not be the last person listening to us from your lovely, lovely country. I can't wait to visit it one of these days. Thank you so much. We're also this week to Lucia Bartolesi 
in Florence. Oh, Florence, Italy. Sends us a live long and prosper and a heart. I have been to your city. Your cathedral is amazing, but you already know that, Lucia. Thank you so much for listening to us. And my last of this batch of fan shout-outs, Macedonia. That's right, the Republic of Macedonia. I have to check my list. I didn't get a chance before the show, but I'm not sure we've been uh, contacted. From I'm excited to add to show to the list of supporters of Trek Talking who have said hello to us. Charles, you want to bring it back stateside for us? I sure will, and you're getting a little choppy on my end. Uh, welcome, Larry Tucker from Ann Arbor, Michigan. David Arnis from La Quinta, California. Thomas Kai from San Antonio, Texas. And top fan Gregory Mullen from Jacksonville, Florida. David, who's on your list? Yeah, so uh, my first fan shout-out is to Laura Hudson from North Carolina, USA. Next on my list is Faith Elliott from Tennessee, USA. Uh, next is Donald Banger Jr. from Wisconsin. Last on my list is Rinda M. Carr from Sweet Home, Alabama. Uh, I Eric, love that. Oh. I love that. <laughs> I love that Rinda said Sweet Home, Alabama. Yep. That's it just gets that stuck right in your head, doesn't it, Jim? (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, All right. Uh, I will take Paul's this week. Uh, We are missing Paul this week, but uh, we are sending out lots of love to you, brother. But uh, your list starts with Drixler Andreas from Gosheim in Krachatal in, uh, that's right, uh, Germany. Uh, Live long and prosper you, Drixler. Thanks for listening to us. Top fan, Alexander Best says, I am a from the United Kingdom, somewhere called Kingston-upon-Hull. I have been a Trekkie for a long time, but I haven't gotten the costume or outfit yet. Well, Alexander, I think it's time to take the plunge. Pick which era of Star Trek you like best and just do it. Just take the plunge. You can usually get pretty good stuff for 100 bucks or a couple hundred pounds uh, or less, I would imagine. Uh, so that's my advice. <laughs> Spend your money on Star Trek. Thanks, Alexander. We're also saying hello this week to Ana Maria Marins Petraeus, who's sending lots of greetings from Palamas in Parana State in Brazil, that big old country in South America. Thank you, Ana Maria, for listening to us in South America. And this final batch goes out to Ana Latowska, who's saying hello to us from Poland. Ana, thank you so much for listening to us from Poland. Jim, why don't you close out and shout outs? Yeah, we've got some good ones. Uh, we want to say thank you to, to Carmel Pundog, who's listening to us in the Philippines and sends us to live long and prosper, which is absolutely great because I work with somebody who came from the Philippines. So I think that's absolutely awesome that we have listeners in the Philippines. We also want to say thank you to Judy Drowen, who's listening to us in Denton, Texas. Top fan, Anna Marie Meade who's listening to us in Great Falls, Montana. And last, but definitely not least, Ed Bobbitt, who's listening to us in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that wraps up our fan shout-outs for this week. Again, 
If you'd like to hear your name mentioned on a fan shout out, just join us on our Facebook page. Tell us where you're listening from and look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. And I just want to let uh, that last Star Trek fan there that was talking about a uniform. Um, they're really not, as Eric said, you can get uniforms uh, relatively cheap um, these days. My my uniform, the one that I wear, the, the Klingon one that I've got, uh, you saw you saw the one I had at Trek Conoroga, Eric. Um, yeah, that, yeah, it looks pretty good, that, actually. That top that I wear, that the uniform top, I got on eBay for $35. It's the uh, Star Trek Picard Season 1 type of one, which I think Charles has the same one, only in blue. And uh, my Klingon well, head... Actually, yep, mine, it, mine, mine is actually the Picard era uniform. Oh yeah, Charles and has I picked, the, the newest Picard one. That's cool. Yeah, I've got the well. That's my ship is uses that uniform, but I've also got mm-hmm. a DS9 uniform. My DS9 uniform is actually a uh, <clears throat> one of the uh, Halloween costumes sets but it's actually a very good uniform it's actually got sort of a little dicky yeah. that goes with it and so i've got ds9 and a picard i think i've got a tng somewhere but yeah. they can be inexpensive they can be inexpensively picked up less than fifty dollars for a shirt slacks are easy black slacks are easy to get a hold of Oh, yeah. yeah. You just put black shoes and black pants with any one of these tops, and you're all set. Yeah. Yeah, except in my case, I'm a Klingon. And the Klingon head, you, you don't <laughs> laugh when I tell you guys this, but my Klingon head is actually, are you ready? An orc from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I saw one on a yeah. discount rack at a costume store, and all I did was cut the face off. Because all I needed was that I didn't need the snarling face and the red eyes. So I just literally cut the whole head off and the pointy ears. And boom, I'm an instant Klingon. I think it looks pretty good, Eric. What would you say? Oh, yeah. I think it's absolutely uh, serviceable. and It's easy to put on and off, right? So if you have to, like, slip it off for a second and then slap it back on, it still looks good after you put it back on. Are you going to win, like, best makeup contest with it? No, but I think it looks really, really good. And especially when you put it with the rest of your uniform that includes the batlet, is totally convincing. I love it. Yeah, now, once you cut the, the mask apart, there's no way to keep it on your head, so all you do is you get a band of um, uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking right now. Um, uh, is it glue? No, uh, like tape. A, tape? No, the stretchy stuff, like it's around the top of your underwear. Um, oh, um, elastic. Oh, elastic. Yep, and you just pin it to the side of of the of the mask <clears throat> under your hair, so people don't see the pin. The safety pin. You put it around your head, and that, oh. and you can put that to be as tight or as loose as you want it. And you slip that over the back of your head, and it will never fall off of you. It's that easy. Put a little powder on your forehead, though, because you will sweat. And that's it. And you can. Yeah, pop I was it gonna off. say, Jim. Um, we we do know that uh, when the temperature hits about ninety degrees, you start sweating, and there ain't no way to ventilate that. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll do the trick for you, and you can take it on and off anytime you want. The most expensive part of my Klingon costume was my bat lift. That was fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and I bought that on eBay. It's foam rubber, but when you look at it in a picture, it looks good. <laughs> so, yeah. So that fan Jim, of- you know what the most expensive part of my cosplay costume is? I like to wear the TNG top with the Discovery badge, and literally the most expensive part of my costume was the badge. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky because um, I picked one up at Truck Conderoga. I bought my glomer and I got the badge for free when I was there. So that worked out real good for me, actually. Jim not only bought a glomer, he bought the last glomer. <laughs> yeah, and what I'm, I want to put, I want to put some Velcro on my shoulder and wear the glomer as part of my uniform, so he sits on my shoulder. I named him George. His name hmm. is George. So, and he goes so what you're saying is you you want to have the pet as a Klingon? Yeah. You want to have the guy sitting on your shoulder that eats Tribbles <laughs> for breakfast? Yes, uh-huh. because if you remember when we were at the costume contest, there was a there was a pesky Tribble in the room somewhere. <laughs> and uh, if I had if I had George with me, that trouble would have been yep. history. So, <laughs> so yeah, you, our listener yeah. there, you, you can pick up a relatively you can put together a relatively cheap, good looking, effective uniform for well under a hundred dollars. I mean, you don't have to get a bat lift, you know, if you're not going to be a Klingon, but you can you can find some really good prices out there on uniforms. So. Take the plunge. I implore you. At any rate, enough babbling about uniforms. What do you say we get down to <laughs> business? How does that sound? Let's do it. All right. So, guys, every week we do Star Trek birthdays, which means we have to hear from Worf. That was not a Klingon song. Yes, Worf, you tell us that every week. At any rate, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we have a lot of remembrances, a lot of people born this time of the year. Uh, Our first remembrance and set of love goes out to actress Catherine Kate Woodville, who played Natira in the original series third season episode, For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. She was an English-born actress. Uh, initially credited as Catherine Woodville with a C, which is a slightly different spelling from the K that she would later use. She was a super prolific actress back in the 60s and 70s, lots and lots of movies and television. In fact, the murder of her character in the first episode of The Avengers was the driving force for that entire first season of that show back in the day. Um, She was originally born in the UK, but uh, died, unfortunately, right here in Portland, Oregon, back in 2013. So Catherine Woodville would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Kate. To Angelique Pettyjohn, who played uh, Shahana, uh, excuse me, Shana, in the original series, second season episode, The Gamesters of Triskelion. She's the one, of course, in the shiny, uh, the shiny digs, uh, the crisscross shiny digs. 
originally born Dorothy Lee Perrins. Um, she was noted for a, her work in a lot of B-movies and TV shows back in the day. Uh, she was actually considered for the role of Nova in the original Planet of the Apes movie. Uh, throughout the 70s, we move into more of the B-movie slash adult movie scene. Uh, and then uh, later on in 1979, when the motion picture came out, it really turned her career around because she started participating in Star Trek conventions. All of a sudden, she was by demand because everyone loves the gamesters of Triskelion, and she found herself just kind of swept up in that wave and became a regular part of the Star Trek convention scene all the way through the 80s until her death in 1992. So I think that's a really cool story of a minor character who went through some tough times and then uh, kind of came out on the other end thanks to Star Trek. So Angelique Pettyjohn, kudos to you and happy birthday. Happy birthday as well. Uh, to somebody who we just lost a few years ago, way too young at the age of 27 years old, Anton Yelchin was that Russian-born actor from Southern California who played Pavel Chekhov in the Star Trek 2009, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond movies, those uh, Kelvin timeline movies. Uh, lost due to a terrible accident, uh, Anton was actually born in Leningrad uh, back in the days of the Soviet Union, which is now St. Petersburg to Russian Jews who eventually fleed to the United States to get away from persecution uh, thanks to the Soviets at that time. So uh, he became an actor at 11 years old and basically had a ton of really cool parts, including Star Trek, uh, for which he was honored many times, including as part of the ensemble that received a Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association Award back in 2009. Um, Anton loved to play the guitar, and he privately battled with cystic fibrosis, which not a lot of people know about, undergoing regular treatments uh, in Southern California's Keck Hospital throughout his uh, adult life. Later, a foundation to help actors with disabilities like him was set up in 2017, and a year later, it was renamed to be the Anton Yelchin Cystic Fibrosis Clinic, which I think is really cool. Great way to honor that actor. Uh, we all wonder what they might do with Chekhov in a Star Trek IV. We'll have to see. But Anton, we do miss you. You were an awesome Chekhov. Uh, his, his accent was so good, by the way, because he was born to Russian people. So he actually literally grew up with that accent. So he, was a, he probably had a better accent <laughs> than our original Chekhov. But uh, we do miss you, Anton. Happy birthday to you. And Star Happy Trek birthday Discovery, as well to actor. Star Trek Discovery honored yeah. him by naming a starship after him. So the, the USS Delphin mm-hmm. uh, was the starship that Michael Burnham got the computer core from uh, way, way, way back in season three, uh, the USS Yelchin, which was they paid an homage to Anton. So that was pretty cool. That's so cool. I'm so glad that they did that, Jim. It was a great way to honor him. So, yeah, happy birthday. March 11th was Anton's birthday. Uh, the day after March 12th is the birthday of actor Frank Emmons Overton. Uh, Frank played Elias Sandoval in the original series first season episode, This Side of Paradise. Um, he is among a few guest star actors in the original series to have actually gotten uh, special credits. He was listed as a special guest star in the episode, uh, and it was because he was already kind of an accomplished actor at the time, and so they gave him credit, uh, even though he was just a guest actor. Um, 
He did also have a recurring role on the television World War II series 12 O'Clock High, uh, starring Robert Lansing, and did a lot of westerns throughout his career. Unfortunately, his life was cut way too short when he had a heart attack in 1967, dying at the age of only 49 years old. Um, and that was just a month after this side of paradise actually went on the airwaves. So he sort of got to see his Star Trek success, and then unfortunately he was lost too early. So Frank Edmonds Overton would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to him. Happy birthday as well to Paul Fix, who played one of our docs, Dr. Mark Piper, in the second pilot of the Star Trek original series, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Paul Fix is uh, one of the classic early doctors, pre-Bones doctors from Star Trek. Um, He's one of only two Star Trek actors verified as a veteran of the First World War. Uh, So he was born in 1901 and actually served in that First World War in the U.S. Navy, which I think is just so cool. Um, In the 1920s, he sort of got uh, started in movies. And you guys, he made over 350 movie and television appearances. So when we talk about prolific actors, we usually talk about like 100, 150. He made 350 appearances in his career, which is just absolutely stifling. Had a face built for Westerns, so he was in a ton of those. uh, so yeah, anyway, what else can you say about him? I mean, Mark Piper was a great doctor. Uh, it was him, Bones, Phil Boyce, um, only in the one episode, but fun to have. Lived to the ripe old age of 82. We lost him back in 1983. Peter Paul Fix would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday as well to Serena Sandy. Serena Sandy was the actress who portrayed the second Talosian in the original series pilot episode, The Cage. Um, Between the early 1950s and the 70s, she appeared on a number of television series and smaller guest roles, had one uncredited role in the 1956 Bible epic, The Ten Commandments, uh, and she was in a movie in the 60s, but just didn't do a ton with acting, had other things going on in her life. So Serena Sandy would have had a birthday just on March 13th. Happy birthday, Serena. Happy birthday as well to another actor we lost way too early at 36 years. Grant Woods was the actor who played Kellowitz in the original season, first, uh, the original series first season episode, The Galileo 7. Uh, He was also in the episode Arena and also in the episode This Side of Paradise. So Kellowitz was one of those characters we saw a few times. Um, Grant Woods was originally born Earl Grant Titsworth in Colorado. Um, and he was in the Navy in the Second World War. And then after he came out of the Navy, he started working as a stuntman and took over the name Grant Lockwood. And then as Grant Lockwood, he did a bunch of stunt work and did some acting work. And then in 1965, eventually switched to that final name of Grant Woods and continued making guest appearances on television shows like Batman and The Virginian and Green Hornet and shows like that. Um, Unfortunately, the reason we lost him so early was that he was killed in a motorcycle accident, which uh, killed him and severely injured his girlfriend at the time. So Grant Woods would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday and remembrances. Lots of love going out to Grant Woods as Kellowitz. Happy birthday as well to Lawrence Tierney, who appeared as Cyrus Redblock in the Next Generation first season episode, The Big Goodbye. You know this guy. He's the one that looks like the big 
scary gangster, right? Because <laughs> Tierney was best known for playing tough guys throughout the 40s and 50s. Um, he played tons of mobsters, hardened criminals. Um, he was uh, first kind of set into that role in 1945's film Dillinger. Um, interesting kind of side note about him was that he actually kind of was that way a little bit got into quite a bit of trouble, was arrested many, many times, got into lots of fights. Um, that actually kind of destroyed his acting career for about 20 years. And then he eventually came back uh, having a recurring role in the 80s on Hill Street Blues for three years, which of course was an extremely um, popular television series at the time. He eventually played Elaine Bennis's father in an episode of Seinfeld. And then in 1992, really kind of got his like uh, reintroduction to everybody when he was in Reservoir Dogs. He played Joe Cabot in Quentin Tarantino's movie. So um, one of those guys who like kind of walked the walk and lived life hard. So happy birthday, uh, Lawrence, to you. Uh, very, very interesting uh, life that you led. Walk Walt, uh, excuse me, Walter Jack Gotell is our next remembrance. He was the actor who played Mandel in Next Generation First Season's episode, Home Soil. Uh, Walter was the classic German actor. He was actually born in Bonn, Germany, had the German accent. And in fact, he was the guy who was the head of the KGB in those six Bond films from 1977 and 1987 film, uh, 1987, where he played... General Gogol. Um, if you don't know which movies I'm talking about, I'm talking Octopussy, talking a bunch of movies from that time. So go check them out. Walter Jack Gotell in lots of Bond movies. He also had a supporting role in the 1984 miniseries, The Scarlet and the Black, as SS General Max Helm. He also played a German officer in The Guns of Navarone, an ex-Nazi in The X-Files Season 3 episode Paperclip. <laughs> You want to talk about the quintessential, like, we need a German on this show. This is the guy you hired. So um, from 1942 to 1997, he played tons of Germans. Thank you, Walter. Thank you for being that guy who we all know as the German guy in all those movies. <laughs> Great contribution. Happy birthday as well to Norman Stewart, who played the Vulcan Kolinar master in the motion picture, the male one. You know which one I'm talking about. That is his only known screen appearance, um, or his last one. He was in two other movies, uh, but not very popular ones. So this is really like his uh, big thing that he was known for acting-wise. But what he was better known for was that he was actually a dialogue coach and supervisor in the film business. So Norman Stewart is actually connected to the film business way deeper than Star Trek. He coached everybody. He he. Like, you want to name a famous actor, he coached him. Um, he's got a list online. You can go check it out. Uh, fascinating. I didn't even know, like, dialogue coaching was a thing. And just Norman having a birthday this week, just today, in fact, March 16th, sort of clued me into this whole career. And I went down a little research rabbit hole today. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> so happy birthday, Norman Stewart. And last but certainly not least, lots of remembrances this week, you guys. We're saying happy birthday to Luli Jean Norman, uh, lived to the ripe, ripe old age of 92 years old. You say, I don't know her as an actress, but you know her voice. She is the soprano who sang that beautiful accompaniment to the original series, 
intro music. You know the one. That is her singing that music. She has a beautiful, absolutely beautiful soprano voice. You can hear it not only in that intro music, but they use kind of remixed versions of that in the cage uh, as weird Talosian music in the background, which is kind of fun. And her voice is throughout so many films uh, from the 50s and 60s. Um, She was super famous for being a background singer and actually um, covering the actress. I don't know if you know what covering means, but when one person does the acting and then another person does the singing for that actor and the original actor just sort of lip syncs to it. So when you hear the voice, you hear the beautiful voice of Lily Jean Norman uh, in, for example, uh, Porgy and Bess, 1959's Porgy and Bess, even though on film you see Diane Carroll. Um, so she did this for a few films, uh, G.I. Blues, Too Late Blues, uh, began her career way back in the 40s performing with, guess who, Mel Torme, one of the great performers of all time. So Luli Jean Norman, uh, she lived a really long and really cool and really prolific life, and we hear her voice every time we listen to the original series, which just, like, warms my heart. <laughs> right, guys? Just sort of warms your heart. Too. Yeah. We've all got... Yeah, here it is. Here we go. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. For sure. (laughs) That last note just kind of rings through your bones, man. Just sort of rings right through your bones. Well, happy birthday, Lily Jean Norman. And that, you guys, wraps up all of our remembrances. There were a lot of them, but there are some heavy hitters in here, and I'm so happy to be able to talk about them. But, Charles, let's start the party with those who are still with us. Uh, Certainly will. Thank you. Let's start off with Dan Purdy, who appeared as... Dija in Star Trek Beyond. Wallace Langham played Flotter in Star Trek's Voyager fifth season episode, Once Upon a Time. It's best known by the, by the public for his roles as Phil on the Larry Sanders show and as David Hose in CSI, The Crossing Investigation. Sean Kenny played the disfigured Captain Pike in the Star Trek original series first or zero season episode, well, first season, uh, uh, Menagerie Part 1 and Menagerie Part 2, and Lieutenant DePaul in Arena and A Taste of Armageddon. And the reason that he played, they had him play Pike was because they disfigured him so much that they did not real that fans would not realize that was not the original captain. That that was not Jeffrey Hunters in that wheelchair. 
I thought it was. But that's that's yeah, why so he was I. so disfigured. That's why he was so disfigured yeah. to make him sure that so that people didn't realize that wasn't Jeffrey Hunter. Cat Sawyer Young played Tarina in Star Trek Voyager six season episode Blink of an Eye. Penny Johnson, known to Star Trek fans as a role as Cassidy Yates. In Star Trek Deep, Deep Space Nine, 15 episodes, was also on the Larry Sanders show, uh, was a regular cast member in the series 24, and our host can plug his ears, is also a regular cast member in the sci-fi series Orville. woo <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Next, <laughs> next. <laughs> Jonathan Knowles played Quinn eh, Quinn Erickson in Star Trek Enterprise four season episode Dautilus. Jeffrey Nordling played Tana Loth in Star Trek D Space Nine's first season episode, Past Prologue. And another person who played Past Prologue was Susan Bay, later known as Susan Bay Nimoy, betrayed Admiral Rollman in two episodes of Deep Space Nine, Past Prologue, and the first season, and Whispers in the second season. Interesting little trivia about Susan. Uh, she was married three times. Both her husbands, John Shuck and Leonard Nimoy, have appeared in Star Trek films. They both appeared in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, which Nimoy also directed, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So hmm. I guess she had a th- she had a big interest in uh, Star Trek actors when she was looking for marriage. You know, it's interesting, Charles. I bet that once you start running in certain circles, you know, at some point in your life, we can imagine this with all, all of our own lives. It's like you're friends of friends, right? That's, and you meet people. And so it doesn't surprise me that a lot of these actors actually have multiple Star Trek connections because they, they sort of like ran the same circles, I think. Yep. But I just thought it interesting. IMDb is a great resource. And not only should you look at what they've done, go look at their bios. And Mm -hmm. below their bios, go look at trivia about people. And boy, Mm -hmm. their trivia facts can be fascinating. You want to know about something, see how much trivia people have gathered about them. And Eric. David. You know the question I'm about to ask, don't you, Eric? You know. Uh, About Spock? Are you going to ask about Spock? Nope. Admiral Admiral Rollman, where does she appear on your list of admirals? Uh, Oh, you know, she's one of the – well, it's interesting because she's definitely one of those admirals that we don't – that we don't talk about a lot. I do know that she was pretty un, if I re, am remembering correctly, she was like pretty unhappy with uh, Benjamin Sisko in, <laughs> in general. 
Um, and uh, I, I'm trying to remember. She, gosh, you know what, Jim? I I might have to actually take a brain check on that because I'm trying to remember where she ends up. I I feel like she's not like totally evil, but she's just kind of a dink, you know, so to speak. Using our <laughs> that word, which we tend to use on this show. <laughs> Um, I I feel like she's not terrible, but she's not, you know, she's not great. <laughs> I'll put her on the I, list. I agree. I'll, I'll have that I fully agree. researched. I'll have. I'll, I'll by the next time we bring this up, I'll let you know how I feel about Rome, and I'll rewatch that episode. <laughs> You'll be rolling along, rolling along, <laughs> rolling along. As I said, we don't go with us, but we have the next best thing. David, you want to jump in here? Sir, I can try and speak Paulus, uh, no pun intended, but, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have a lot of the uh, background of these actors, but uh, I can try my best. Um, so, first off, I have Nancy Kovac, who played Nona in the Star Trek original series, second season, A Private Little War. Uh, next you guys, yeah. if you have, I'll just comment. If you haven't seen that episode recently, you guys, you need to go back and watch that one. That's the one where, well, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but go back and watch that <laughs> TOS episode. It's amazing. Mugatos, Mugatos, Mogotos. Right, Jim? Am I, am I wrong? Right? That's where we get the Mugato, Mugato, Mugato. But, like, there's so much more to that episode, I feel. <laughs> oh, so much so next... they had to go back to uh, uh, Lower Decks to talk about them again. That's right. Totally. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one is Barbara Allen Wood, who portrayed uh, Karine Brianon, 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 uh, in the Star Trek: The Next Generation second season episode, The Sisoid Man. Uh, next is Titus Williver. Uh, Titus Williver. Uh, played Lieutenant Maxwell Burke in the Star Trek uh, season uh, Voyager 5th uh, and 6th season episode of Equinox and Equinox Part 2. Next uh, is Whitney Rybeck, Redbeck, portrayed Ancient Allens in the Star Trek Next Generation 2nd season episode Pen Pals. Uh, and next, I got Anna Katerina. She's a Swiss actress who played the role of Valeda Innes in the Star Trek Next Generation first season episode, Haven. And last on my list is David Cronenberg a Canadian director, screenwriter, producer, and occasional actor who appeared as Kovic in the third and fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. I hope I did okay for Paul there, but that's it for me. How about Jim? Well, you it was like going on a three-hour tour. <laughs> Glad I could help. <laughs> And for those of you who get the get the pun, yeah, there you get, there you have it. <laughs> yes, you did a, you did an excellent job. Paul would be proud. It's a David, it's a David Cronenberg joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, it is. 
Star Trek Discovery. You guys can go and uh, find it for yourself. That's but your it's hint. a good one. Yeah, if, I you didn't, if you didn't get it, it's a David Cronenberg discovery joke. Go get it. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, Jim, and Jim, I know that somewhere in your vast lexicon of uh, audio samples, somewhere you must have something that would possibly get us even more interested in this three-hour tour concept. You notice how oh, I'm giving I, you plenty of time. This is called vamping in the business. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> or teasing. Yes. And it worked out well because while we were discussing, guess what came up? This is the exclusive, what? exclusive, only available to us. They gave it to us because we're so awesome. This is the theme song for Star Trek Discovery final season, season five. And we're going to play it for you guys live right now. So sit down and enjoy the Star Trek Discovery season five theme song. Put her in her angel suit. She will never fail to lead her ship on future trips to save us her data. Saru was Starfleet through and through, Burnham sure and true. The crew went all the way that day on a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. Time travel was very rough, and Burnham paid the cost. That day Saru saved the whole darn crew, but Discovery was lost. Discovery was lost. They splashed the ship right down, you see, in the 32nd century, with Burnham and Mr. Saru. Oh, Wushukun and Edmer, the Emperor, the Doctor and Samuelson, here on Discovery. Here my tale of discovery, a crew who's not all fine. They'll have to do the best they can to fit into this new time. Burnham and Captain Saru will do all that they can to take care of their crew, you see, and execute the plan. New races, world relationships, and new technology. Discovery was an ancient ship as primitive as in me. So turn up on each Thursday night right here on your TV. You never know what you will see here on Discovery. All right, guys, there you have it. You heard it here first. The brand new season five intro song for Discovery. What do you think, guys? You like it? Oh, Jim, it sounds. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> I guess I'd be surprised if they actually put that song into the, one of the episodes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that would be awesome. It would be, awesome. It would be even better if they had David Cronenberg singing it. <laughs> that would be good. So if, if you guys are curious and you want to know about where that came from, you gotta go watch. You gotta go watch Discovery. It was season three, I think. I think yeah. it was season three. Yeah, you have was. to go find yeah. out yeah. where that came from. And, uh, yeah, there you have it. All right, guys, we're going to continue on with our Star Trek birthdays. I've got a few, not as many as the other guys, but i got a few. First, we want to say happy birthday to Jake Weber, an English actor who played Zara in the Star Trek Discovery third season episode, Far From Home. There is a tide, and that hope is you, part I also want to say that this one's a good one. 
I want to say happy birthday and live long and prosper to James Frain, a British actor who portrayed Starek in the first and second seasons of Star Trek Discovery. And I got to tell you guys, I think he yeah. played awesome, awesome Starek. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, like not, of the of the people who have taken over roles from other actors, like when you take over the role of Sarek from Mark Leonard, you you better have chops. And I feel like he just completely nailed the role, like completely. Yeah, he was great, and he he played a version of Sarek that we had never seen before. And I, I think he he nailed it. I think so. Happy birthday to James Frain and. Uh, that wraps up my uh, my uh, Fetty uh, birthdays. The rest of the ones I have are Klingons. So I always save the Klingons for last. Blah. So, all right. This next one uh, isn't really as much known for her Klingon role as she is for a bigger role that she played. But she did play a Klingon, so she makes my Klingon list. We want to say happy birthday to Trisha O'Neill. Uh, who plays the Red Lady uh, from Star Trek Picard. Who am I talking about? Well, she was from Shreveport, Louisiana, and portrayed three Star Trek characters. Perhaps her most notable role was that of Captain Rachel Garrett in the Star Trek The Next Generation third season episode yesterday. uh, Our other captain. (laughs) uh, Built of her that was entitled The Red Lady. And it was in front of the Federation um, training center that hmm. Vatic destroyed in Star Trek Picard, the Red Lady. So there you have it. But wait, there's more. Uh, she went on to make her second appearance on Star Trek The Next Generation as the Klingon scientist Karak in the Star Trek Season 6 episode, Suspicion. Uh, she also played. Wait, Karnoff wait. Did you say Tarkin. did you say Klingon scientists, Jim? I didn't think there were Klingon scientists. Yeah, there there are scientists. Uh, they're very low on, on their, uh, the menial list, but yeah, she played one, which is pretty cool. They're out there. Yeah, and I they, think that's an important there. part of like like people always think that like Klingons are just all about the like warrior culture, right? But there are a few you, we get some awesome stories with Klingon scientists, we get some like Klingon uh, arbiters and lawyers and things like that. And yeah, this is one of sorry, I just wanted to point that out that like Klingons are not a one dimensional society, right? Well, they can't be because someone has to design and build their ships. They need engineers. You know, they need other people yep. besides warriors. So, and she played one of them. Yep. She was a scientist. Um, uh, she also up, appeared as Koronos in uh, Deep Space Nine, third season episode, Defiant. I think that was a Cardassian. I, I th- or, uh, was it a Koronos uh, was, was a yeah she was a Card yeah she was a Cardassian and we don't get to see a ton of Cardassian women in Star Trek but she is one of them. Yeah, she was not so like the some... illegitimate illegitimate child of Golducott. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place. <laughs> so, so happy birthday to Trisha O'Neill and I think everybody would agree that she's best known as the captain of the Enterprise C, Rachel Garrett. 
So, yeah. Uh, a couple of Klingons. We want to say kapla to Faith Minton. And uh, she was actually a stunt woman, and she appeared as the sexy female Klingon in the Next Generation first season episode, Hide and Q. Uh, you guys, I'm sure you remember her, but when Riker gets the power of the Q, he makes the Klingon woman appear. Yeah. She claws at Worf, and he slaps her across the bridge. And then she crawls on her hands and knees and starts clawing at his face. And Jordy says mm-hmm. to him, you know, is, is, this, is this Klingon sex? And Worf says, this is sex, but I have no part for it in my life now. Be gone. And let's <laughs> That was uh, fate. And, and Jim, just can I comment on her? Like, uh, one thing I always really appreciated about her um, costume was that um, you know how Klingons have like all of this armor, right? So her costume in particular has these awesome like armor scales that sort of go down her arms, but then she's also wearing essentially fishnets, right? <laughs> like, like she's trying to expose a lot of skin uh, if she can. And I just always really, uh, I know she's kind of like a minor character that just sort of shows up, you know, for like just a few seconds, really. But that that outfit that she wears, I always thought, okay, if there was like, you know, a Klingon, I don't know, pole dancer or something like that, certainly armor would be incorporated in some way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although the character doesn't have a name and she's only on screen for like 12 seconds, she's extremely memorable because we've never saw, have seen before or since a sexy Klingon. Well, there's Lursa and Bator, but you know, uh, they don't really care. They just, they just have like (laughs) uniforms that are kind of like we read as sexy, but they're not trying to be sexy. Well, I mean, well, there are a couple of times they're actually trying to seduce Worf, but aside from those. Right. This is the first and only time that we ever saw a Klingon like sex symbol, like a Farrah Fawcett of Klingons. So, (laughs) um, and everybody remembers her, even though she was only there for a few seconds. So happy birthday to Faith Minton. And the last, on my list is Granville Van Dunsen, who played the Klingon magistrate in the Star Trek Enterprise second season episode, Judgment. He's the one that sat up there on the pedestal and banged that electric gavel that sparked all over the place and turned around sending uh, (laughs) Captain Archer off to Rurapente. So, kapla to all my glorious Klingons. May you die well and go to Stovacor. All right, guys. That wraps up our birthdays, which means it's time to talk about Star Trek Picard. No win scenario. So you guys can get your fingers flexing and call us. 646-668-2433 is the phone number. And uh, let me play the clip that Will Wheaton played on the ready room to get you guys in the mood and set the tone. And then we're going to dive right in. Engineering sustained critical damage during the attack. Massive loss of power. We're down to 9%. The more systems we use, the faster it depletes. We're bleeding to death. What if we divert everything from the warp core or the impulse reactors? Either way, we go into meltdown. Even temporarily? We won't have the power to reverse the process. It's a chain reaction. What about weapons, Mura? Already at zero, sir. And we're falling deeper and deeper into the nebula's gravity well. We're sinking. All systems are reaching critical minimums. 
If we don't divert some power, we will start losing life support. But if we pull any more power from our engines, there will be zero chance we can fly out of here. And if we divert everything, what does that buy us? Just a few hours, sir. Not bad. Divert as much power as you can to life support. Eliminate all non-essential functions. Have the crew gather in common areas. And shut everything else down. Captain! And leave it to Will Wheaton to leave us hanging at that particular moment. So, you guys remember the episode? You should be in the mood. Every week, Mm -hmm. I post on Friday. I wait until Friday because I don't want to get any spoilers out there for our people that don't live in the United States and don't get to see the episode until tomorrow. So, tomorrow, you'll be able to vote. Not tonight. I always post a question on our Facebook page and ask our fans, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, what score would you give this episode? And, Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about the no-win scenario? Oh, Jim, it was a good one. Top fan Jerry DeSio said a 9.5. This was some of the best Trek since DS9. Just the right amount of, quote, looking back. Kudos to Two Takes Frakes on directing this one. I completely agree with you, Jerry. And just to clear anything up, if some of you have heard One Take Frakes, well, there is actually a pretty good story that Jonathan Frakes likes to tell at conventions about why he is called Two Takes Frakes versus One Take Frakes. And uh, it's because you always need that extra shot. He didn't know that until the first time he directed. So, uh, Jerry, thank you so much for your comment. Yosman Lloyd Rucker said 9.5 because the changelings are a real threat. Seven got to be seven, and Shaw is starting to loosen up a bit. Plus, most people's theory about him was spot on. Plus, now I am starting to wonder about who is Jack Crusher. Ugh, good question, Yosman. Carl Howard said 10 easy. It was great. I love how Beverly figured out the problem. Dana Newman said 10 with, I haven't counted them, but probably about 17 exclamation points. Wow. I love Todd Stashwick. Me too. He nailed it with another eight exclamation points. Heart, heart, heart. Dana, that's a lot of love, girl, and I got to agree with you. Laura Clemente gave it a 9.5. It has everything, action, emotion, surprise, good script, performances, and direction, and good effects, but I'd like more light. Laura, I cannot disagree with you, and I think it does deserve a .5 docking simply because I can't see what the hell's going on. Top fan <laughs> Elizabeth Phelps says, I give it a 10, but it's an episode I never want to watch again because I cried for half the episode. Don't ask why. I would guess that there's some PSD, uh, PTSD connection there because Shaw, whew, if you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. Just enjoy the great totally not real life stuff writing. Mm. Thanks, Elizabeth. Richard B. West, good episode. I'd give it an 8. Joseph Paul Haynes gave it a 10. I'm a harsh critic, but this ranked in the top five Trek episodes of all time. Top fan Charles Bowser disagrees. He says 4. 
Riker wants to play it safe, which he would never have done, even though leaving the nebula is the only real option that they have. They also acted like they've never surfed out on a wave before. It would be nice if they acknowledged that rather than acting like, whoa, this is crazy, they turned Shaw into Cisco by stealing his storyline of hating Picard, even though it's been 30 years since it happened, and you'd think that an older, wiser officer would realize that Picard was not at fault. Also, if he hates the Borg so much, why did he choose Seven to be his first officer? Odo used a bucket to regenerate, which he later abandoned. Changelings don't need a bucket, and they certainly don't need the same style of bucket that Odo used. That seemed awfully silly, and I really don't like the updated look of the changelings in their gelatinous state. Cadets asking Picard random questions, like how did he fight the Herosian, also seemed silly and kind of random, and I continue to hate the use of profanity on this show. I think he's referring to Picard's, I guess I'm alone in that. Charles Balser, I'm going to say you are not entirely alone, and you have some good points that we are going to talk about in a little bit. Thank you so much for all that. Virginia Gage, eight. Please don't kill him off like they did Kirk's long-lost son. Oh, I agree, Virginia. Kathy Davis says, wow, a fabulous 10. Francois Scott says, very impressive, 9.5. And Jeff Akers says, eight. Not the direction I'd hoped for, but solid action. Fan score, do-do-do-do-do, 8.9. Charles, what should we have paid attention to before we watched this episode? Well, as soon as I get a theme song... All right. Well, Eric mentioned one of the, the first one, a couple of them right off the bat. Voyager's Hunters, Season 4, Episode 15. Prey, Season 4, Episode 16. Flesh and Blood, Season 5, Episode 4. All detailed episodes about the Herogen. Even though... We don't ever knowing knowing about them ever being in the Alpha Quadrant. I guess they did tie in that supposedly they did appear in the in there. Uh, DS Nine. I didn't find a specific episode. Just in general, Odo's bucket. Wolf three five nine. TNG best of both worlds part one and two. Season 3, Episode 26. Season 4, Episode 1. DS9, Emissary Part 1. Season on DS9. Epi- season 1, Episode 1. Both show us tie-ins to Wolf 359 in the battle. And, yeah, Charles, <laughs> and the second one being particularly salient to Charles Balser's uh, point of stealing Cisco's story because Cisco really does not like Picard when he first meets him because he was Lucius, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't blame Shaw directly. Well, we'll discuss that. TNG, Farpoint, season one, episode one. We get a resurgence of those creatures that we saw in Farpoint. 
Squid babies. Squid, yep, squid babies. Hmm. Okay, and here's Charles' comment. TNG, Force of Nature, Season 7, Episode 9. I'm also going to go to Discovery's Anomaly, Season 4, Episode 2 of Riding a Distortion Wave. It's like surfing is a unique concept that nobody in Federation has ever thought of before. No, no, we surf all the time in the Federation. (laughs) Yep. Especially when you get a uh, surfer on board Discovery who helps them surf. Yep. And And this, this is an interesting one here. DS9 Chimera. Season 7, episode 14. We get to meet Loss, which is a rogue changeling. Played by one of our favorite actors, J.G. Hertzler. Yeah, and Charles, uh, I was just going to say, of all of your cadet training this week, I think this one is the one that's the most interesting because I completely agree with you that this changeling in particular is outside of the Dominion, outside of the collective changelings, right? Outside of the kind of like lexicon of what is a changeling. So to me, this one is the one that gives us the most information about what's happening right now in Picard. Exactly. And speaking of Picard, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the episode right now. And the first thing that I want to talk about here um, is Captain Liam Shaw. And, uh, I read an interview with Jonathan Frakes, and he said there's a scene in this episode where he recreated uh, from Jaws. You guys remember that awesome scene where Quint talks about being on the USS Indianapolis. You may have noticed that this character's name is Shaw, which was named after the actor who played Quint. And uh, he, he gives this excellent rendition of what it was like for him at the Battle of Wolf 359, which one of our list, one of our listeners hinted at earlier in his description of the episode. But for me, it helps the turning point with Shaw. And um, Eric, what, what did you think about Shaw and his, the way he goes through this episode? Yeah, you know, Jim, I think that's a great question, and we've kind of seen it coming. I mean, this is episode four. Um, We saw him show up as a character that we kind of all instantly hated right away, which some of us loved him because we hated him, (laughs) and some of us said, ah, he's just, like, he's terrible. He's not a really good person, but I think this is the episode that humanizes him, right? This is the one where we just learned that he is – a simple dipshit from Chicago, right? <laughs> he was just somebody who got got pointed to when some lieutenant, like when he was junior grade and poop was going down at Wolf 359, some lieutenant that he didn't know came down and pointed at him when he, when like 20 of his other friends didn't get pointed at and he ended up on a rescue shuttle, 20 of his friends didn't. And to me, that is just one of the best parts of his story because it some of the like one of the great things about the writing in this season is that they are humanizing all of these characters and here's a guy that they've just introduced like we have no history he's not a tng like legacy character he's just a guy who just got introduced and we hate him 
look how rude he is to Seven when, uh, like, he won't even call her by her real name or the name that she chooses to use, you know? And yet, you feel all of this sympathy for him as he kind of goes into the story about Wolf 359 and that he was just kind of lucky and that's why he's alive and other people aren't alive. Um, I will say that I, as the son of a mechanic growing up, I really, really love the scene. He talks about, you know, I'm just a simple grease monkey, uh, or I was just a simple grease monkey at that time, meaning that he was a guy who repaired things, right? He On the ship, he would, like, go into the conduits and, like, do the things that needed to be done. Well, in this particular episode, you see him on a creeper, and if you don't know what a creeper is, it's essentially a wheeled platform that mechanics use to slide underneath a car when they go to work on the car. And so here we get Shaw on the creeper sliding underneath this thing to – blow the ports on the nacelles to open them up so they can pick up the power and, and all of that cool stuff. And as a person who grew up around a bunch of grease monkeys who twisted wrenches for a living, I just really like, if I didn't already love Shaw, that to me just really connected me to him because he's just a blue collar guy who has gone through some poop in his life that has seriously affected him. And somehow he hasn't gotten out, kicked out of Starfleet, right? He has done what he needed to do to kind of keep his mental state in check, so to speak. And we get some some clues from Vatic that, you know, in the last, uh, what was it, last week's episode or the episode before where she talks about his psychological profile and, you know, how there might be some interesting things in there. Well, sure, PTSD is a huge thing, and it doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're broken. It just means that, man, you have seen some stuff, and you are still trying to figure out how exactly to deal with that. And I just have to tell you guys that I'm so happy that they broke Shaw open in this episode and just really humanized him as a character, connected him not only with the story of Locutus and Wolf 359, but also, um, you know, he says that thing where he says, you know, they were all my Jack Crusher, all these these 30 friends that I was with at Wolf 359, of which only 10 of us were saved, they were all as important to me as Jack Crusher was to you. And to me, that's the hammer that hits uh, Picard in the face. Now, was it a little harsh? Yes. Was Picard not himself when he was Locutus? Yes, right? He was a different person. But is he still responsible for his actions? Well, to me... That's what makes the writing of that part of this episode so good because it's a question I can't immediately answer and all the best Star Trek has ambiguous answers, right? You don't know what the right and moral thing is. Was Shaw right for being broken up about this? Was Picard, like, did, should Picard have felt bad? Should he have felt vindicated? Should he, you know, there's just so many questions. So anyway, loved Shaw. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on what you thought about Shaw. That's what I thought. Well, I thought that Shaw was great. Or Jim, yeah. I thought that Shaw, you know, I got to tell guys a story. When we first met him, I went on on Twitter and I said, what a dink. You're not going to make it through the first episode with with, with Rice's card. (laughs) You're the odd man out. You're done. When he didn't die, he got back to me and said, well, I survived the first episode. I said, well, we'll see what happens next. And he's still around. And after I saw this episode, I went on on his Twitter page and I said, you know what? 
I love you. And we need to get a Captain Shaw and Seven USS Titan TV uh, series. And he answered me back and he said, I love it. Let's make it happen. And somebody else totally surprised me by answering back. Jonathan Frake said, make it so. Um, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. But uh, back to back to Shaw. I think that the level, you know, if you, if you look at it as you were on one of those ships, you have nobody to blame. You don't have any closure whatsoever for the loss of all your friends, your family, everything. And you don't really know why it happened or what. And all you know is that Picard was Lacutus and here he is on your ship. And now you have an opportunity for that closure. And I think that's what the whole thing was about. It was, he, he needed that closure and he got it. And I, I don't think that he, you know, thinks, I don't think that in his mind he blames Picard. I think that as a Starfleet officer, he knows what it means to be assimilated. He's read all the dossiers. He understands it. But still in the back of his brain, he's like, you're, you're the reason my friends are dead. And I'm going to tell you. And he needed to say that in order for him to grow and become the character that I hope we're going to see later. So I thought that was a great moment. Um, another moment that I really like is the Grease Monkey moment when he was fixing the warp engine. And the, the uh, spoiler alert, the changeling comes in and is talking to Seven and refers to her as Commander Hansen, and she kills him, kills the changeling. And Shaw says, well, how did you know? And she says, this, the changeling called me Commander Hansen, and LaForge always calls me Seven out of respect, which was kind of like a in-your-face, dink. Um, you know, to uh, Captain Shaw, who I hope got the message. So that's why I love <laughs> and Jim, this character. Jim, can, yeah. I, can I mention just one? I know that we have some very sophisticated listeners who love to make sure that they pick the episodes apart, and I don't think that's a bad thing. So can I just tell you one thing relative to that? So I loved that line where she says that, and also – if you go to 39 minutes and 20 seconds into the episode, you will see that Seven, when she con- – that's this is the Grease Monkey moment – when Seven contacts Riker to tell him what's going on, guess how she refers to herself? She doesn't say Seven to Commander Riker. She says Commander Hansen to Commander Riker and I, or to Captain Riker. And the – I had a moment where I was like, why is she saying that? And then I wondered if she was saying it because Shaw was in the room and she was trying to like come to his table a little bit, you know, like recognize that calling that maybe there's, I don't know. I've had this real problem with him calling her Hanson when she wants to be called seven. And then she referred to herself as Hanson in this episode. And I was like, what is happening? Hmm. Anyway, well, we could go down a rabbit hole. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Didn't she? Didn't she say that he told her that in the first episode that she had to be referred to as Hanson? Wasn't there a line like that? Yes. Well, like, yeah, yeah. Yes, there was. Yeah, so, and it's and, so it's, Charles, and that's really. I have to tell you, that that's so bad. Yeah, go ahead. Charles, you want to jump in here and talk a little bit about? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. One of the, one of the lines that I loved 
with Picard and Seven going to Shaw. It's like, we need your help. And and Picard just says this, well, we really need a dipshit from Chicago. Even if you're a, you are a dipshit from Chicago. I love how he reuses that line as a bit of an, a respect to Shaw. I like him reusing that line. We also get an interesting little... It's also interesting that, and this this goes back into the teaser, that Seven knows so much about all the different species, does not know about a changeling. Which gives yeah, us, isn't that gives weird? Us, gives, the, us, gives yeah. us the idea that maybe changelings were never assimilated. Hmm, by the that is one crazy thing never dealt with. Or, or they feared or, like, chose to erase from their memory or something. Because she has, like, the Borg have a number for every single species. How did they never encounter the, the change? I don't It's baffling to me. Exactly. That, that's, that was in one of the Easter eggs that she, she did not know. But I like how he tells her about <coughs> the changelings, the use of the bucket, <laughs> and the fact, <coughs> excuse me, and the fact of how to search for a lie, how to change, how to change, check their memory where they don't know an answer. And I thought that was very interesting because he sat there and gave her example of trying to say what a great crew member she is, and kind of getting <laughs> into, oh yeah, awesome. you're sitting there lying <laughs> to me. No, that but, was perfect. That was great writing. You know <laughs> I really, <clears throat> I really got the point. It's like, okay, I was kind of scratching my head a little bit about this character. Then I watched Ready Room, and his interview in Ready Room just got me. It's like, man, okay, I do like this character because he is got issues, but. As we talk about Wolf to Five Nine, this is the all this is one of the rare TNG episodes where a episode plot seeps into another episode. When we get to family and Picard breaks down about how difficult was not being in control as the cutest. And I think this gives us a reminder that he had some serious regrets, and the movies went back and kind of emphasized the fact that he's got some major regrets for what the Borg made him do. Well, and Charles, it's not just regrets. It's actually – he actually has PTSD as well. So in this episode exactly. when Shaw kind of attacks him and tells him his story, like the story from his perspective yeah. about Wolf 359, he doesn't realize that he's, he's completely triggering Picard's own PTSD, which is why Picard yeah. walks away like he's in a stupor. Like he can't even – Right, <laughs> he gets chased down. Exactly, just like I can't even. He's kind of he's kind of thrown off by himself, but he realized the fact that both of them have effects of P- PTSD. But and I really like the way uh, 
great Jack Crusher comes to Picard's defense and says, that's enough. And Picard he does. No. You let yeah. him continue. I think Picard knows this is something that Sean needs to say. And Picard also needs totally. to hear it. They're helping each other. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a great scene. Because, because Jack was born probably just after Nemesis, we don't know if he knows a whole lot about Locutus. Yeah, it seemed like in the episode he didn't really know. Like when Shaw's like, do you know where your old man was? And Jack was like, I don't know where he was, right? So that I thought that was interesting. That gives you that an idea good. how rich these characters are. These characters are definitely very rich. We're getting a lot of details. And I think that Two, two Takes Breaks really did a good job with this episode of really getting us interested in these characters. He's really made these characters strong. Absolutely. And what about David? Yeah, you guys had a really uh, a lot of interesting points. Um, I did want to mention, because you guys talked a lot about how uh, Picard became Lucretius and how Seven, and well, basically any Borg, really. Um, the idea is that I believe that in the Star Trek universe, they are aware of their actions, but they just can't do anything about it. And so that's probably why what Eric mentioned, that he had PSD, PSTD. And uh, the fact that uh, even though he feels such big guilt of doing these things, even though he couldn't control himself because Borg made him do this kind of thing, made me feel like, you know, Shaw's experience of watching all of his friends die and blaming Picard for all this time made me feel like, you know, this is actually a really good turning point, like you guys all mentioned. I really liked this particular story plot in this episode and the reason why he had such a big grudge against Picard from the very beginning. And like that one fan said, um, I forgot his name now, but he mentioned that uh, why did he pick Seven as his first officer? I thought there was an, uh, a sentence or a thing in that particular uh, episode where he didn't pick Seven. He was actually assigned to the ship from like command, Starfleet command or something like that. So he didn't actually get to pick Seven. Is that correct? Am I assuming that? Oh, or? did they say that? I don't remember hearing that, but typically a captain would be able to pick their first officer. Like that's the standard protocol. And yeah. so I didn't, but but that's interesting, David. I, did, I didn't catch that in the episode. Like I almost wondered if he picked her as a like i feel like shaw went into this command not entirely understanding his own mental state and he mm-hmm. may have picked her for a variety of reasons whether it was as a scapegoat or whether it was as a, a therapy help or like there's a million different ways you could look at it but it is a very interesting interaction and i guess seven didn't really have a choice yeah That's i don't know if it was actually this episode per se it might have been a couple of episodes back when i guess when they first introduced mm. the captain but yeah i kept thinking that mm-hmm. the captain mentioned something that that seven wasn't his first choice or something like that anyways mm, maybe but other than that um i really liked the connection with world 359 that was actually such a pivotal moment in starfleet history where 40 ships 
against one just somehow vanished. And it was like how Shaw described it. It was like space on fire, you know. It was just like that description was just like how bad the situation was. And I can imagine uh, Shaw just all of a sudden be like, yep, yep, this this is uh, – I don't think I'm ever going to get over this. <laughs> and in real life, a lot of people have PSTD for a lot of their careers, especially war veterans, when they're going through trauma. They, the PSTD just stays with them throughout their whole life. It, a lot of trauma can happen to a lot of people, and it can take mm-hmm. a very profound effect on just things that nobody really understands. So technically, this particular storyline, I really like. And, yeah, it, it was really good. I, I give it a thumbs up. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you all that Riker did a really good job doing this whole um, episode directing and everything. So, yeah, really good. It's really spot on. Well, speaking of Riker, that's a great segue. I think I think one of our fans mentioned that Riker was a little bit out of sorts in this episode, and I would agree. You know, he he wanted to turn and run. Uh, he didn't he didn't trust what Picard told him. He didn't trust really trust in his crew, and he seemed more like um, I'm going to use a word that's not exactly accurate, but he seemed more like a coward. Like let's just run away. I you know let's just leave. And he and then. He didn't. He gave up. He gave up too easy. You know, he goes to the card and says, "This is the end, my friend. It's over." And he gave up. And one of our fans had mentioned that, and that wasn't very Riker-ish. That didn't seem to me to be what Riker would do. Uh, but I believe there was reasons why Riker was in that state of mind. And and Charles, you want to talk a little bit about Riker in this episode and some of his actions? Yes, definitely. Um, what, what, okay, we've been talking about different levels of PTSD, but how about Riker? Yeah. How does it feel to lose your son? And that's, he had his own effect on it, that I believe they kind of get to the point of admitting that he and Troy are, Deanna, are having some trouble. I think the fact that he, she and the daughter are off doing something and he kind of ran away. But he was kind of getting away from things. So we kind of feel that there are some issues going on there. And well, I think Charles, he was... He specifically, what he specifically says is that because Deanna's a betazoid he didn't feel like it was fair to Deanna for him to feel nothing when she feels everything. So to me, that was like, the reason that's so cool is that here's a man who is literally feeling empty inside at the death of his son. And the first thought that he has is how can I protect my wife from those feelings? Mm -hmm. So he's got his, he's got his own issues that he runs into. We kind of can tell there is some issues going on with the two of them. But I also thought it very interesting that, oh, why are they using these flashbacks to – why would these cadets be sitting there talking to Picard? But I think it's a story – I think it's a storyline 
where we sit there and, okay, Picard goes to the past and discusses these issues and yet then turns around and, okay, this may be a way of solving our problem. That inadvertently he talks about how he and Jack traveled back to their ship as they were not model officers. They had their own little time of they wanted to go at go back and have a little fun with the girl fun with the ladies. But that he found a way of getting back flying blind and slowly getting back to his ship. Whereas then they reuse as flying blind trying to get to the asteroid field to try to get into the wave. Also the fact that they need to not have the crew members against each other, but to have positive feelings. Hmm. So you definitely need to have some faith in your crew that they'll do the right thing. I think that works in where Riker gets the point of realizing he's got to have a little more faith in the crew and he's got to risk. If you don't risk, you're not, you're just going to be stuck here. Whereas if they try something, it may or may not work, but at least you've gotten a better chance of surviving than doing nothing. And one comment on our script, and I totally agree with this, is, and I love Beverly's response to the issue. I think it was Beverly who said, it's like, you threw a rocket in but they used, but they sat there and used the concept that Fadik used on him throwing the ship at their ship. Riker turns around and uses a tractor beam to grab an asteroid and send into Vadic's ship. And that's just Riker's like, okay, you did it to me. We, you did to us. We're gonna do it back to you. Yeah, Riker says, you're damn right I did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that you got the yeah, point, it's like, okay, he's he he's willing to try something different. Okay, we're going to go up against this ship. Let's try doing what she did to us and see if that'll give us some leeway to escape. And he's got to put some faith in his crew and the ship defending themselves and which Charles I I think that right there was the whole point is that I think up to this point Riker had lost faith he says to Picard uh, when he's giving his it's over old friend this is the end speech and he says you know watching them lower my son into the ground it was only six feet but it was darkness it was nothing Mm -hmm. and we from one end of the galaxy to the other we've seen everything and we've seen nothing to prove to us that there's anything beyond out there. It's just yep. over. And he, he had given up faith. He lost his son, and he had no faith. And that's why 
he was empty, and that's why he left Deanna. And at that point right there that you were talking about is when Riker, the Riker that we all know and love, came back to us. That's when the flicker of faith uh-huh. ignited, and he said, I've got, I've got to have faith, and he did, and they got out of it alive. He had faith in his crew. He had faith in Beverly. He had faith in Picard. And, and he had faith in the dipshit from Chicago. And <laughs> everything worked out because he got his faith back. And I think, again, we're going to see the old Riker. I think we're going to see the Riker we all know and love come right back to us again. And that was the turning point for Riker, I feel. And even at the end, well, when he sends the message to Deanna Troy, which, if you recall, he couldn't do at the beginning because he had no faith. He didn't know what to say. And at the end, he did. And he apologized. He said to her, that's all on me. And things are going to be different now. So I, that whole sequence, I think, was another great one in this episode. Well, and I, one, one last comment I want to make to this is let's separate and look at the work that Frakes did and the character we got of Riker sitting on both sides of the camera and the power he put in that character. I, I just, I'm gonna yeah, the, Charles. I'm, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I don't want to interrupt, but let me, let me, I'll say I'm, something after you are done. But I'm going to say with the way they kind of did this, this, this episode, I made a comment and a lot of people rather agreed with me. And many of our fans agreed with me. This felt like a classic TN, a TNG episode. This just wasn't a yeah. multi-parter. This felt like an actual TNG episode. And it felt like a TNG episode that featured Riker. Like, to me, Riker was so powerful in this episode. I... I I will tell you that I love Sir Patrick Stewart. I love everything that he does. Every once in a while, I find Picard a little stiff uh, in this Picard uh, series, as opposed to like the way that we saw Picard in TNG. I thought Riker, like Frakes, just knocked it out of the park in every single possible way in this episode, uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. Not only with his acting, but just his facial expressions, the way that he reacted to things. And he, he delivered the lines with such conviction that you just, like, I just felt for the guy. I just wanted to, like, take the guy out for a beer and be like, dude, oh, man, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. David, David, what did you think about Riker's performance in this episode? Yeah, um, I think it's just another PTSD that he's going through, like, with loss of his son. Um, I can imagine that when I mean I don't know how long Troy and Riker split I mean who knows how long how much time between uh you know when this episode started from when he, when was the last time they saw each other I don't know I mean has it been a year or what so I mean given the level of how much trauma he's going through and I I actually almost thought it was a little um a little strange to think that he was going through it if it had been like over a year or whatever. But I mean, didn't he like say he lost his son in season one, and that was supposed to be like years ago? Well, so I don't understand how he all of a sudden 
having this issue right here now when it's like, you know, years ago. So I don't know. It's a little strange for me. Well, but, I think um, in season I think in season one they had just lost their son like a year before that. It hadn't been like many, many years. It had just it, it was like a relatively recent loss and so I I don't know. For what it's worth, David, I could see him like still having effects two, three, four years later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, a year before season one, you think that he would have gone through all that trauma right then and there. But the idea Maybe. is that between season one, season two, and season three, wasn't it like a couple years separate? I mean, well, it's it been was. Years I think I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I just think it sometimes it takes, yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. It takes time for people to process things. Yeah. So, I mean, sure, I can understand, like, you know, the topic came up again, and all of a sudden he just felt empty. But the idea is uh, I I did like how they um, brought them all back together with the whole crew, and they kept mentioning, like, you know, just like the good old days, you know, like how everybody were working together to try and solve a problem. I believe Beverly said something like that. And uh, so I did like the ending, how they all came back together and now – uh, Riker seems to be back to normal, so yeah, I I I liked it. Uh, it was pretty good. Um, yeah, and uh, the whole throne at the asteroid at Vatic thing was I I could see it coming, especially when he told the uh the helmsman to lock a tractor beam, even though he didn't say what he was doing. It was just kind of like yeah, you could see it coming. <laughs> But I did like it. I'm just hoping that later uh, down the road, Wiz Kid can make that an actual card to use in attack wing. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> well, you know, David. Yeah, speaking, dude. I want the throw. Uh, I want the throw an asteroid at somebody <laughs> card. That's for sure. <laughs> speaking of Vatic, David, um, ah. we learned some interesting things about Vatic. Like, for instance. She cuts her hand off, and it's possessed by this gelatinous floating face, for instance. And she's getting her orders from someone The donut else. people. The donut people. Yeah, what, <laughs> what do you think is going on with Vatic and the floating face and the whole – and who's pulling the strings here? Okay, so my whole theory on this whole thing, when I saw her chop off her hand, I was like, wait a second. Who does that remind you of? What race in all of Star Trek can just disembember the parts and have it come back? Can anyone guess? Well, I was no, thinking the, the, the animated character Ben from the, uh, Star Trek, the animated series that could remove his limbs. Yeah, maybe. However, I believe that Vatic is no longer a human, even though she probably looked like a human. I think she yeah, Charles right. She's a changeling. Um, that whole idea of that goo-looking communication between Vatic and that weird, I guess you could say, changeling. Um, it did It did remind me a whole lot, like, uh, uh, this, the, especially the gelatinous uh, Odo-like changeling that we're seeing now in this episode. It just looks similar with the graphics and everything that they got going on. So, yeah, I believe that she'd have totally a changeling. Um, as far as the um, the, uh, the crew of the ship, uh, I'm I'm still at a loss. I really don't know, but I, I, I believe I believe fairly say that what Eric said last week, they may be the Bruins, because the Bruins were the 
potential point of DS9 and whole Dominion War situation. And that was like one of the main races that were in agreement with the uh, Dominion to have Cardassia as their like headquarters, you know, to take over most of the, the Alpha Quadrant. So to me, I think the crew on her ship are the brain. And uh, as far as who she's working for, yeah, that, that's I think that's plain sight now. Plain day. I mean, it's just that they're they're totally the trains lane. That's no doubt about that. Um, I'd be surprised if there wasn't. I'm not sure. I don't know if there's any other race that we know of that can cut off their hand and have it grow back. But maybe you're right, uh, Jim. It could be that alien from uh, the animated series. But she doesn't look like any of those. <laughs> so. If she looks human, uh, I think that's just a to throw everybody off. She's definitely probably a changeling. I keep saying that over and again, again but <laughs> uh, as far as uh, yeah, I don't think that we will be able to. Uh, I don't think that we are going to be seeing the last of her because, of course, she's the main villain. She has to come back and um, throwing a rocket at her ship that didn't blow up. Of course, it's going to be like you know that's not the ending. She's going to somehow come back and uh, maybe she'll ride along the the currents like uh, Riker did and, um, you know, go after them at warp speed. But um, one thing I did wanted to ask you guys was um, I'm assuming the portal tech that she used uh, against the, uh, the uh, Titan was the unknown technology that they scanned her ship. I'm assuming. Is that what I'm getting yeah. here? Yeah, yeah, that's I what think I, so, yeah. and I think that that got well, ejected when she when she ejected the weapon system, so she could go back in the nebula because of the gravimetric muck muck mouth. Yeah. So make me wonder well, if. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, one of my Easter egg episodes <clears throat> actually took a shot of when she ejected that from her ship. Yeah, and if you Institute, look at right? just right, you actually see Dyson on the hmm. on the object. Interesting. So cool. Well, I have a I have a theory for who Vatic okay. is working for and who's actually pulling the strings behind the scenes. If you guys want to hear my theory, let's hear it. Okay, let's it's it's, it. it's a theory. It's only a theory, but we have heard. Just so many references and so much talk about the Borg that I actually think who's behind the scenes and who hates the Federation so much are the Borg XBs that got left behind when Borg Jardy took over and became a less benevolent, more friendly, accepting Borg. And that these are the Borg that said, the hell with you, we want to go around and assimilate everybody and, and we don't care about you. And they got thrown out of the collective. And the changelings and them got together and got this new uh, board drone type of thing that, and that's what's going on here. I think it's actually hmm. the Borg. And I think the Borg Jardy, who's guarding the portal that, that for whatever in season two, I think that's actually the Borg that are trying to come back and Borg Jardy knows it. And I think she's going to come back and save the day in the end. Just my theory. Because they've been mentioning the so board. The... Wait, so, so, so Jim, so you think the, you think, you think the bat, so the person who Vatic talks to when she cuts her hand off, 
you think is kind of like a side Borg faction. And I think it's the know Borg that Yes. I think it's yeah, the Borg, the alternate the alternate okay, the we have Borg Jardy. We have Borg Jardy, but we also yeah. have the Borg Queen that wasn't a, that didn't join with Girardi. We'll call her Borg Prime. And I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing another faction of Borg, just like we're seeing a rogue faction of of uh, changelings, because they they've gone out. And that's kind of their... where I was going with that with that discussion yeah. was that so in in a lot of ways I kind of like that storyline because it puts a rogue faction of Borg in the place of manipulating a rogue faction of the changelings and to me those are the two scariest villains that we've ever had in star trek of all time right i mean aside from like q or you know omnipotent beings we're talking these guys are really scary so i i could totally believe that i did think that the the techno like i didn't i'm i really hope they dig into that technology of her like cutting her hand off and being able to communicate with it somehow because i didn't i don't know man I've read a lot of sci-fi, and I couldn't, I couldn't like figure out how why. Basically, that would be you want necessary. a technobabble <laughs> explanation of how that works. <laughs> Whatever, that's what I want. I want a technobabble <laughs> explanation for that. <laughs> that. That was weird. I gotta admit, that was weird. Yeah, I, I really honestly think she's a changeling because she got her hand back. Well, she said she. Well, so she's either a changeling or, or. She's got, like, changeling components. What's very interesting, though, is that, like, a changeling can change their form, right? And she seems to be in this form, and this form that she's in seems to have, like, the scarring on the cheeks, and that's obviously part of her identity because she's called the marked woman or, or whatever. So, to me, I, I, I agree, David. Like, she's obviously looking like a changeling because she cuts off her changeling hand and, like, some weird stuff happens and then it reamalgamates, but... Why isn't like why doesn't she look all smooth skinned and stuff? You know, and why does she have the scars on her cheeks? And like, well, like you said, it's probably an identity part, thing. Part character that I'm really interested. In. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there's got to be. A, she's she's obviously freaking out when she talks to whoever this entity is. Like she is scared of whoever is in charge of her, which I think hmm. is a very important point. Like she's supposed to be the big scary bad guy, but she's totally scared of whoever's in charge of her. Maybe well, she's half cha- changeling. Changelings, if, if if I remember my changeling lore correct, Eric, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but changelings won't send other changelings to their death. That's completely forbidden in the changeling laws of whatever. So for, if she's a changeling and her ship is, our crew are all changelings, and she's talking to a changeling, for the changeling to say, you're expendable, your crew is expendable. It's all expendable is completely unchangeling like. A changeling well, you would also, never say yeah. that to yeah. another changeling. You also so have that's to what remember something more there is what got yeah. me thinking about the board. Yeah, so we have to remember that this is a um a rogue faction. So when rogue factions split off from the actual faction, they start making up their own right. rules. So right. I'm wondering if they just disregard that entire society of laws. And so then now since they're a rogue faction, they're like, you know, let's just 
<laughs> let's just go out on a revengeful uh, <laughs> quest or something. I don't know, but yeah. So that, that, well, that's what I would take. But there's one more thing I want to I want to I want to mention because we're we, we literally are out of time. But I I would be remiss if we didn't bring this up. What do you guys think is the deal with Jack Crusher and the tendrils and the opening door? <sighs> what do you think? What do you think, Eric? <laughs> so weird. I can't figure it out, man. I really can't. Like, I, I've i tried to connect this to so many different things in Star Trek, and there's definitely, like, some sort of – it feels organic to me, you know? It has vague, like, remembrances of freaky visions that Michael Burnham would have with the Red Angel before we figured out that whole plot line. So, yeah, I it looks like some kind of maybe, like, future seeing of destruction of something. There's definitely scenes of stuff blowing up. It looks like the day after almost, right, where there's, like, these, like, blasts going sideways and then the door. Um, I don't know, man. I, like, I would love to have some good theories, but I really don't at this point. Hmm. How about you, Charles? Oh, this is, an, this is a reference Eric will understand. But it somehow reminds me of the crack in Doctor Who. Oh yeah, no good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just something. Okay, for those of us who have no idea what you're so, talking yeah. about, the yeah, crack. yeah. So the so I basically so the, the crack, crack in my so, mind, and I think it's the right crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, to summarize, to like summarize the crack in a couple of sentences. So there are seasons of Doctor Who, mostly the Matt Smith years, where a a crack in the space-time continuum starts to show up. So in, for some people, it shows up as like a little jagged line in their wall. Only certain people can see it. Certain people can like reach into it. Certain things come out of it. And it's a, it's a plot point that is kind of like pervasive and insidious that sort of underlies an entire season or two's worth of Doctor Who. And so I agree, Charles, this is not unlike that in some ways. Yes. Interesting. What about you, David? What do you think is the deal with Jack Crusher and his visions of tendrils? Well, I think this was what last week episode. Um, and I think I mentioned before that the red tendrils really reminded me a lot of the Tholians, like from Enterprise, where you got to actually see the Tholians as like a red crystallized body. Um, and maybe that's just how they grow or something. So maybe the Tholians are going to be coming in again to make some sort of appearance of like, because, you know, all we know about the Tholians so far is they got a lot of uh, time travel technology. So maybe time travel is going to be coming in and that's the way they're going to explain it. So that's just my theory about it. Probably the Red Door. Did we know who passed through it? I mean, Seven was there, but did she go through the red door? I don't know. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, other than that, that, that's my theory on it. Well, before we get our fan scores and say goodnight, I do have a theory on this one, too. You guys want to hear it? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, here's my theory. So, Jack Crusher is the child of Picard, the actual bio, no cloning, no, no, no shenanigans. Crusher and Picard <laughs> did the nasty and boom, there he is. He's the real actual oh. biological child of Picard with his DNA. Picard was the most powerful Borg ever created. They gave him a name. I think he still has Borg nanites in his system 
and any biological child that Picard has would inherently be Borg. And the yeah. Borg entity oh. that's in control of Vatic wants Jack Crusher because he represents the future of the Borg that don't rely completely on technology. He's a completely biological, naturally uh, conceived Borg. That's my theory. I might be wrong, but because the first time he sees this, it's with Seven, who was a former Borg. That's my theory. I have nothing to back it up other than... Okay, Jim, I'll just say that if that theory turns out to be true, it might actually make season two more interesting. Like, that would actually be kind of a cool board connection. <laughs> hmm. I'm, just, I'm, I'm just throwing spaghetti at the walls and trying to make it see what sticks. And that yeah. is what I came what up we with. Do here. Probably, probably the best theory we have so far. Maybe I'm crazy. Yeah. I don't know. But that's my take on it. So, all right, nice. guys, we actually ran out of time a couple minutes ago, and I don't want to go over too long because I know you guys have to have dinner and i got to get to bed. So, Eric. One to ten, what score would you give it? Uh, I'm going to bump this one up, you guys. I thought it was extremely well written, except for some of the things that our good friend who gave it a four pointed out. So I'm going to bump this one up to a 9.2. I just really, really enjoyed it. Wow. That, that's an impressive, impressive score. Wow. And, uh, you know, I don't, you, mess around. I don't hand out nines like candy. So, uh, it's, yeah, this one <laughs> no. impressed me. All right, Charles, how about you? Uh, I think this was such a TNG episode. I'm going to go even a little higher than Eric at a 9.5. 9.5. I'm still impressive. David? Ah, oh, come on. You even have to ask. She's a 10. <laughs> it's really good. And I'm with <laughs> David. David. <laughs> For David, I'm, I'm, like I'm 10, got... 10, 10, 10. I'm <laughs> I got to go with a 10 on this one as well. I just, it was perfect all the way around. Even the music, even the music was perfect in this one. And while Charles uh, tabulates our scores so we can compare them to your scores, I just want to let you guys know that next week we're going to talk about this week's episode, which is entitled Imposters. We'll be back, same bat time, same bat channel. And I'm pretty sure that Paul will be joining us as well. He'll be back from vacation, well-rested, and ready to join us. And, uh, Charles, what was what was our score versus the fan score? Well, it's interesting. Looking at scores we've had, <clears throat> the past two weeks we've had an 8.9. And then last week and this week, the fans gave it 8.9. But this week, we really bumped our score back up, and rounding it, uh, let's put it at a 9.7. Okay, 9.7 from us and 8.9 from the fans. Still very respectable. All right, guys, so I want to say thank you to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you so much, Charles. A lot of fun. Thank you. This was definitely something to have fun talking about. And thank you so much to David for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, David. You're welcome. It's been really fun. Thank you. And uh, save me one of those peanut butter and jelly donuts because that that sounds good. Oh, it went good. Really good. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Eric, for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you so much, Eric. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, you guys can head over to trucktalking.com and listen to all of our previous podcasts, and you can re-listen to this one as well. Make sure you head over to our Facebook page and tell us what you thought about tonight's episode and tell us where you're listening from and look for a heart next to your name to see if you'll be mentioned in a future fan shout-out. So as always, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Stay safe. Be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Live long and prosper. Night, all. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.